0: Let's take our Bibles, go to uh, Hebrews chapter number 11, Hebrews chapter number 11. I started to say Acts chapter 11, but that is tonight, Uh, actually Acts 12 tonight, but uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 11 here this morning, and uh, trust that God will bless us today as we spend time in His Word. I had my follow-up six-week post-surgery meeting with my surgeon. And uh, thankfully, uh, he told me that I can get rid of that pillow, that bolster that was right there, because that really makes you feel like you're in a straitjacket. So I'm glad to be rid of that for good. And praise the Lord, he said, I only have to wear this when I'm in public around people. I guess he doesn't trust you to not injure me. And then I have to wear it when I sleep at night, so he obviously doesn't trust my wife that she won't injure me. But uh, anyhow, it's nice to have some freedom from it, and uh I've been doing some very painful exercises, but being able to see some results from that, being able to move that a little bit, brush my teeth, stir my coffee, uh, pretty much just about anything that's not heavy and uh, not much higher than this area, I'm able to do it now, and... Uh, Boy, when you don't have that arm for about six weeks, you really enjoy being able to use it, and uh, you don't take that uh, those simple things for granted. Well, we're in Hebrews chapter number 11. Let's begin in verse number one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse number three, we see a connection between faith and the word of God. Of course, uh, Romans chapter 10 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot disconnect the truth of God's word with the concept of faith. Some people think that faith is just this pie in the sky, hope it to be so and it will be so. That's not faith at all. In some cases, that can be foolishness. Faith is believing in something that is true, even though you can't see it or necessarily tangibly demonstrate it to other people. Verse number four, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. What does that mean? It means that God took him directly to heaven. By the way, brothers and sisters, there's a translation that's still coming. It's called the rapture, the blessed hope. We need to be mindful of that, that one of these days, it could be soon. It could be today. That trumpet's going to sound and praise the Lord we're getting out of this mess and we're going to forever be with the Lord. That's a translation that I'm looking forward to. Enoch was translated, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the people-pleasing trap. and So often we get caught up in trying to please everyone and we lose sight of the fact that Really, the only thing that's going to matter in life is if we please the Lord. And then verse number six, pay close attention. This is where much of our message will come from. Verse six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I want to preach a message. The title, I don't think I've ever preached anything with a title uh, like this that could be misunderstood, but I think it's a good title and a good topic. I want to preach to you this morning on how to get what you want from God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the faith, uh, Lord, that uh, all ultimately comes from you. We thank you for the word of God. We pray now that you would help us to strengthen our relationship with you uh, through the truths that your word teaches here today. We pray for anyone here today that is not saved. Lord, uh, the only thing that's going to matter that they could ever want and desire is uh, the need for salvation. And so I pray, Father, for anyone that's not saved, that you'd speak to their heart, show them their lost condition, show them that the only solution to their lost sinful condition is what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Lord, many of the things that we'll talk about here today will be totally irrelevant to the person that has never been saved. So we pray for that person, that you draw them to you today. We pray, Father, that as your children, that we would learn a few things about our relationship with you. We pray that you would be lifted up and exalted because you are worthy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So according to verse number six, obviously, faith is more than just believing in something that you haven't seen. God says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That's the starting point. Faith so far, I mean, it goes so far beyond just simply believing. The Bible says in James chapter number two, thou believest that there is one God thou doest well. But the devils also believe and tremble. So if you just simply believe in God and are a non-atheist, then you're at least reached the level of the devil. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that you have faith. Because Hebrews 6 says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does it mean? What does diligence mean? Well, if you look up, and and I kind of combine some definitions from several different dictionaries, but in a nutshell, diligence is steady application, constant effort, exertion of body or mind, and we would say that diligence is the opposite of negligence. Now, in our title, How to Get What You Want from God, I want you to notice that the word everything does not appear. It's nowhere in our title. So I'm not implying on how you can get everything that you want from God. In fact, I read in the Bible that one, arguably one of the best Christians that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, he didn't get everything that he wanted from God. If you'll recall, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, God had told Paul, look, I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh. What exactly was that thorn in the flesh? Now, we can kind of make some, um, I guess, draw some conclusions that Paul perhaps had some vision problems, some eye problems. But ultimately, that thorn in the flesh was beyond any particular Health or relational problem that Paul had, the text itself says that that thorn in the flesh was the messenger of Satan to buffet him. When I used to play hockey, if we had, if we were up against a team that they had a player that could just literally skate circles around everybody on our team, we would often put a shadow on them. We, I, I'd, if I was coaching, I'd say to one of my players, maybe my best skaters, look, hey, your job is to ignore everything else that's going on. Don't worry about where the puck is. Don't worry about scoring. Don't worry about anything. You just, you just attach yourself to that best player and you harass him and you challenge him and wherever he's at, you make sure that you're right there with him. That's what God allowed to happen to, I guess, his star player, if you want to make that analogy. And Satan literally took one of his angels, one of his devils, and assigned him to the apostle Paul. And wherever Paul went, he was there to create all kinds of havoc, health problems, circumstantial problems, shipwrecks, problems with the government, persecution, and so forth, And so Paul literally lived knowing that, hey, I'm an imminent problem every single day of my life. Now, we know what Paul had to come to the conclusion of after he prayed. He says that, in fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. I don't think that this was just kind of, Uh, Dear Lord, please bless this food. And oh, by the way, please let this uh, messenger of Satan depart from me. I don't think I think that these were probably some very intense all night prayer meetings that might have been followed by a week of fasting or more where Paul was saying, God, I can't take it anymore. Please, God, let this depart. Please get rid of this this devil, this angel that's following me everywhere and causing all kinds of problems. He was in dire straits. And he was begging God and beseeching God, please, Lord, would you remove this? And have you ever been in that place in life where you just think I can't take it anymore? Every one of us, at one level or another, at one time or another, we all get to a point where we just think, God, I I can't take it anymore. I've had times where I literally felt like quitting on God, and it wasn't because I was discouraged. It was just because of the battle that goes with the Christian life, thinking, God, I, I just, I can't take it anymore. Now, quitting would have made things much worse, wouldn't you agree? And the devil will speak those thoughts in our minds, thinking, well, it's just not worth it you're always going to be battling this. But here is what God said to the Apostle Paul after the third time that he asked for it to depart from him. Verse number nine, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. It just sounds like such a simple statement. But boy, there is so much in that, brothers and sisters. God said to Paul, And by the way, what God said to Paul, the same thing applies to you and I. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, God would say, my grace is sufficient for thee. God says, look, I'm enough here. I'm not going to rescue you always from your circumstances. I'm not always going to take your problems away. But my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul went on to say, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When God revealed to Paul that, hey, my grace is sufficient for thee, I've got a plan here, I've got a purpose, and Paul understood that it was because of all of the revelations that God was giving him lest he should be exalted above measure. Do You know, with blessings also, there's a tendency to become complacent. There's a tendency to become proud. Hey, I, I want God to bless me, don't you? But I also know that sometimes those blessings... Look in America today. Has there ever been a time in the history of America where there's more affluency than there is today, where people are any more comfortable than what they are today. I realize that uh, from time to time, we drive by an intersection and we see somebody standing there with a cardboard sign. Uh, But I've observed, I have watched and observed many of those people, I can't speak for all of them, but probably most of them are not legitimate needs. They're people who don't want to work. Or they don't want to have to submit to the authority of a boss to tell them what to do, and so they don't have any personal shame, and so they figure, I'll just, uh, I'll stand here out on a street corner with this cardboard sign, look real pitiful. You ought to do what I've done before. You ought to just park somewhere where they can't see you. And spend about an hour watching them. And, and watch how that when there's cars at, stopped at the red light, how that they're limping. And when there's no cars, they walk just fine. I've seen stuff, I've seen stuff that's just, it's crazy. I had, had one that, um, my wife and I had gotten an ice cream cone and we're parked in, I think it was a Walmart parking lot and just a, a few yards away is one of these guys with the cardboard sign and we're watching him eating our ice cream cone and he takes his cardboard sign and he goes and hides it in the bushes. And we watch him cross over the, you know, he counts his money, see how much money he has and he, Crosses over the street to go over to the convenience store, and he comes back with a paper bag that's got a bottle inside of it. I'm kind of doubting that that's Pepsi Cola. But while he's across the street, I said to my, I said to my wife, I said, "Let's go steal his sign." She says, "No, no, no." I said, "No," and and I I really, I thought I'm going to go. Just he's, he littered. I'm just picking up the litter. Well, she wouldn't let me do that. But boy, that would have been so much fun. Don't you agree? Some of you are like, you're a mean preacher. Have we ever lived in a time when there's more blessings? Where, I mean, we've got food, we've got raiment. I mean, I guarantee you that there is more money spent in the United States of America in gym memberships, diet programs, diet, food, and supplements, than the whole, if you take all of the assistance for the homeless and the hungry and you combine it, I guarantee you there's more money spent in America, it might just scare us to find out how much more is spent on dealing with too much food than what we deal with people not having enough. And wouldn't you agree with me that if we were in our right mind, we'd have to say, wow, The way that things are in America, certainly everybody believes in God. And yet, every time we turn around, we find more and more people who say, well, I don't believe in God. Atheism is on the rise. Practical, there are people who wouldn't come out and say, I don't believe in God, but they literally live their life as if there is no God. Didn't the psalmist say the fool has said in his heart that there is no God? He didn't necessarily say that the fool said with his mouth that there is no God. He said the fool has said in his heart. And we have, we have people who say that they believe that are practical in their heart atheists. It doesn't make sense. Well, the reason being is because getting all of the blessings doesn't necessarily increase our faith. But I will say this, the substance and the entire concept of faith has to do with us as sinful creation, getting things from a powerful creator who can bless and wants to bless and certainly does things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. So how do we get what we want from God? Number one, you'll take your Bibles and go to James chapter number four. I would say the very first thing that we need to understand is that we need to want the right things. Oftentimes, we want things, and listen, God is our father. But as they say today, he ain't your daddy. And a lot of times, children grow up, and in this generation... Many children are not raised in Christian homes that use Bible principles in their parenting. And so many children today are very spoiled. And rather than using the Bible authority concept, rather parents today, even God's children, even Christian parents, have adopted the same methodology as lost people, that as we raise children, what we need to do is to just simply manipulate them to behave so that they don't cause me grief and problems. And so what has happened is parents, rather than having an authority consequence model, like God parents his children, instead they cut corners and try to manipulate their children beg, plead, bribe, threaten, none of which they literally mean, but they're just trying to control the outcome, not seeing that the outcome of this circumstance is not the primary issue, but the character of my child is. And so we've got a generation of people that really don't have any understanding of the God of the Bible because They think that the authority figure is just somebody to manipulate because the authority just manipulated them. You choose that method of parenting and you may win in the short term, but I hate to tell you, you are creating monsters for tomorrow because your children, you may manipulate them, but you are just training them to be master Manipulators and you will regret it one day. You can read all of the books on parenting that you want, but the best thing that we can do is simply understand our God, our authority, our Heavenly Father and see from the Word of God how He parents His children. Yes, He's good and He's kind and He's gracious, but He's also the boss. And he says what he means, and he means what he says. He doesn't make idle threats. If he says something, it's going to happen, and he is consistent. He doesn't change. He doesn't have good days and bad days. The more that we can parent like him, then the better parents that we will be. But if we're going to get what we want from God, we need to examine the things that we want and make sure that we want the right things. James chapter 4, verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war and your members? This is not talking about global warfare or the Middle East. It's not talking about the Cold War with Russia. This is talking about the church. This is talking about you. This is talking about me. James says there's wars and fightings among you, and they they come from your lusts. Verse 2, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Have you ever had something that you're dealing with, that you're just struggling with it? I know it's kind of a silly example, but any of you men that have ever worked on your car, remember when you could work on your car? and didn't have to have a computer degree. I mean, there was a time when you could actually use wrenches instead of a, a keyboard. It was just a different time. If you've ever worked on your car, you know that it can be frustrating. Some bolts and some screws, they don't want to come loose, or they don't come out. And then, then you know, you, you get them loose, and they drop. Clink, 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 clink. And you look underneath the car. And they're not on the concrete. They're somewhere up inside of the framework. And you, you know, you know, it's like, well, I need that bolt. I need that part. That's important. And I can't, I can't get to it. I can't find it. And, and in your mind, you, you just know that that thing has lodged somewhere that when I start up the car, it's going to, lodge in a cog or a gear or something and it's going to jam it up and then the whole thing's just going to blow up. That's what's going on in your mind. This is going to cause me more problems other than just not finding this part. I've had times where I would fight with stuff like that and I would kind of come to my senses and I'd say, wait a minute. I haven't prayed about this. And I can't tell you how many times that I have just stopped what I'm doing, trying to figure it out on my own, and just bowed my head and said, Lord, would you help me find this? And literally within minutes, boom, there it is. Without doing anything differently. I'm sure if I asked for a raise of hands, that there would be many of you believers that you'd say, I had something like that in my life where I said a prayer, And God, maybe you're looking for something that you couldn't find, and so you stopped and you prayed, and boom, all of a sudden there you found it. You know, that's an amazing thing, and that is so true. But the Bible says here, ye have not because ye ask not. I wonder if we would make asking God our first instinct rather than our last resort. I wonder if our life wouldn't be much easier. The writer of James goes on to say in verse number three, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulterers, adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so there are times when people ask God for something, but we can ask amiss We can ask selfishly. You know, if you've ever been in a real conflict with another brother or sister in Christ, I mean, somebody that has really upset you or hurt you, sometimes, and I've seen this on Facebook before, and I don't like anything to do with it, but I've seen believers start using the Scripture to try to win their argument in the public eye on social media. And you know who wins when Christians start acting that way? Neither of the parties win. God doesn't win. I'll tell you who wins. The devil wins. Because it's like trying to take and use God. It's almost like the person that is praying. It's like, God, you said, pray for my enemies. God, would you just get them? God, teach them a lesson. And instead of praying, really you're, you're, you're using God to cast your personal curses upon other people. I, I know I've had times where in my mind I was certain that the, the, the person that I was praying for was in the wrong. And that they were gonna hurt, they were gonna cause themselves grief. But I've always tried to be careful and say, Lord, you know what? You're a just God. And I know that I'm nobody special, and I certainly don't want you to take my side over theirs. God, I don't know how to pray for that person, but I'm worried, I'm grieving over their behavior, and I'm just asking you to help them and to do whatever needs to be done to get them back on track. Oh, and by the way, Lord, the areas in my life where I think I'm okay, but I'm not okay, I'd like to ask you to do the same thing for me. Because God doesn't want us to pray, to ask for things for selfish reasons so that we can consume them upon our own lusts. John chapter, 1 John 5 verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So if you want God to do something for you, then figure out what God would want and then pray for that and watch God bless and watch God answer. I think about Moses. Remember the time in the Old Testament when God was getting ready to destroy Israel and wipe them out and start fresh with Moses? What did Moses do? Moses changed God's mind. The Bible says that God repented of what he was going to do. You talk about a man who had great power with God, but you know why Moses had that power with God? Because Moses wasn't taking care of his own interests, he was taking care of God's interests. And he literally changed the mind of a holy God. I don't understand all about that. I don't know if that was some kind of a subtle test that God gave. I don't understand the theology. I only know what the Word of God says. That when Moses prayed and talked to God, that God repented of the evil that he was going to do for Israel. That tells me something about the nature of God, that God does have a will, and that our prayers do affect what God wants to do in our life. Now, what if you're not sure what God's will is? You know what I'd say to you? Pray anyway. There's a reason that I can say that because of Romans 8 verse 26, where the Bible says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. I think in our prayer life, if we want to get God to do something in our life, we need to do the best that we can to understand his word and to understand his will and then pray for those things. But when we don't know what God's will is, pray anyways, because the Spirit of God will make intercession. Thank God the Spirit of God knows what we want, God knows what we need, and God, through the Holy Spirit, will do what's best for us. So make sure that we pray and want the right things. Number two, look at James chapter 5 and verse number 11. James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, oftentimes when we think of that word pitiful, we're kind of using it as a degrading term against other people. Oh, you're just pitiful, meaning I pity you. That's not what this verse is saying. The Lord is saying that, or the Bible is saying that the Lord is pitiful in that He is full of pity. He looks down upon us in tender mercies, and because of that, He's gonna help us out. Now Job had to suffer for a season in his life. I can't imagine the intensity of his suffering. But I do know the rest of the story that God took care of everything in the latter end of Job, was more blessed than even the beginning. Why? Because that's our God. There was something that was going on behind the scenes that Job didn't see or know or understand. In fact, that little story between the book of Job, we don't have any indication that Job is the one that wrote it. Do you know that it's possible that Job never, ever knew why God allowed Satan to take all of his children and possessions and his health away from him. We don't know that Job ever knew about Satan and God having this conversation in heaven. He only knows that when he started questioning and saying, why God, I just wish I'd have never been born, that God showed up. God didn't show up with kid gloves on and say, oh, Job. Bless your baby heart. Come here, give me a hug, Job. I know it's been rough. God didn't show up that way. God showed up in a whirlwind and he spoke with an authoritative voice and he said, hey, Job, where were you when I formed the foundations of this earth? You think you're going to question me, Job? you think that you know what's going on here? Basically, job, you know, I'll just kind of paraphrase this. Basically, God showed up and said, "Job, you ought to just keep your mouth shut. I know what I'm doing, and everything's going to be okay." And that's not always what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody to coddle us, but God says, "You know what? I got something way better." than just coddling you, I'm going to fix your problems at the source and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you more back than what you ever had. You're going to have happiness and joy and blessings that you've yet to experience. And listen, Job had to forget about what he lost and had to focus on what he still had and what God had given him. Otherwise, he never would have enjoyed the blessings of God. What am I trying to say, folks? I'm saying we better be patient because God has a more complete perspective of what's going on in our life. In Daniel chapter number 10, God had given Daniel a vision of these beasts and all of this judgment of the tribulation period that was to come. And Daniel was perplexed. I mean, Daniel, is he is depressing. Wow, what is this beast? And what are all these things that that are going to come upon this earth and upon upon God's people and boy, Daniel is grieving and Daniel starts to pray and saying, God, give me understanding of what this vision is. I am just perplexed and God, please send me an answer. And do you know that Daniel began to pray and he fasted. He did without food for three whole weeks. No answer came. Now listen, I, I don't know why God chose in the English the word fasting for fasting. Because there's nothing fast about it. He should have called it slowing. Because it just seems like slow. You go 24 hours without food. And it's like, wow, that was the longest 24 hours in my life. Do that again. and Do that like 72 hours, three days. It's just like, oh my goodness. You know, we talk about how time's flying. And it is. You know, you want to slow that down? Just start fasting. (laughs) I mean, it's like, is, is it Tuesday yet? Please, God, let it be Tuesday. 23 weeks, 21 days, and Daniel is still praying and agonizing. Oh, God, please reveal to me what's going on with this vision. But notice it says that Gabriel, the angel, shows up. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Twenty-one days. Hey, that's three weeks. The beginning of Daniel 10, we find that Daniel said that he was fasting for three weeks. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Listen, I would not limit our God's sovereignty in any way. But there are some things that God and His sovereignty has set up in this creation that are just things that there are natural and spiritual laws that God set them all up. God can intervene. But he doesn't always intervene. And there are there are creatures in the spirit world. The devil is very real. The devils that follow him are very real. And if you are following the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to live righteous, you're going to find out from time to time, one of those evil spirits are going to show up on your doorstep. And they're going to camp out and they're going to bother you and they're going to whisper things in your ear that are not true. They're going to incite worldly lusts and covetousness and anger and all of these human passions. And some of those are going to be uh, aroused by a devil who's whispering those thoughts or feelings in your ear. Say, how do I know that? You won't. But rest assured, it is very, very true and very real. There is a spirit world out there that we cannot see, and there are battles that are literally... There is probably, more than likely, a battle going on in the invisible air of this building today, even as we speak. Hey, you're hearing the Word of God. The Spirit of God is speaking, and guess what? The devil's going to show up. You're sitting here this morning. And rather than even caring about getting what you want from God and learning something about God, and you're thinking about who's going to win the Panthers game today, or, oh man, what are we going to have for dinner this afternoon? Now that might just be you being hungry. It might just be you being a sports fan. But it also might be the devil trying to snatch the seed of the Word of God lest it take root in your heart and bring forth some fruit. That's very real. Daniel began to pray, and he began to fast, and it took 21 days before the the answer was sent the very first day that Daniel began to pray. God hears Daniel's prayer, and he says, Hey, Gabe, go show him. Gabe leaves, leaves heaven and starts heading toward Daniel, and guess what? On the way, the prince... Of Persia. That is not a human prince. That is not a human kingdom prince. The principalities of the air, the book of Ephesians talks about them. And in the spirit world, I believe that the devils are organized. The the devil has assigned certain devils or spirits to certain kingdoms. Remember when Satan was tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to him, he said, All look at all of the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus didn't say, you don't own those, I do. Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus did not correct Satan because Jesus knew that Satan had been given by God oversight and authority all of all over all of those kingdoms. And that's still in existence today. You ever get frustrated with world events? You ever get frustrated with what's going on in our country? I I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but all of this nonsense of you know, of replacement theology that God has done with Israel and that the church or even some, some say that America has replaced Israel, I, I don't mean to be rude, but that's the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. You know what? We are just a Gentile kingdom. We're We're no, I mean, thank God we had some founding fathers that said, in God we trust who said to the God of Israel, we want you to be our God. I'm certain that our blessings as a nation, they find root in the fact that we have blessed Israel historically because we said that, hey, we, we read the Bible and we want their God to be our God. Now, God chose them as a nation, but our founding fathers said we're going to choose this God to be our God. Now, they didn't choose any particular church or establishment of any religion. And they established that men are free to worship whatever God that they want. But that didn't mean that they were saying that we don't have a God. They said we don't have a recognized, established church. You you read everything that they had to say. And it was clear that this nation was founded upon the God of this Bible. And they said, look, you can worship Him or not worship Him. You have the liberty and the freedom, but we still are one nation under God. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, our currency, all make that clear that God is our God. But we're still just a Gentile nation. And we will be judged at that judgment of nations one of these days. So don't think that we are something special. God's just been good to us. Those kingdoms of the earth, the devil has put devils over them. And one of them, the prince of Persia, who no doubt was a very powerful principality, he began to withstand and to try to keep Gabriel from bringing the answer to Daniel. I'm sure that there was strategic reasons behind that. But Michael shows up and helps. This almost sounds like a, like a book, some kind of a science fiction novel, doesn't it? Almost sounds like the, like something in Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. But I've got news for you that in the spirit world, these type of things literally happen. God knows them and God sees them. And sometimes God intervenes, but sometimes God says, I'm just going to let the natural way that I created things take their course. You know, there's a there's a good practical lesson to learn from that. If that's the case, sometimes we presume upon God's protection. Oh, well, God's going to take care of me. God's going to protect me from the devil. And God's saying, wait a minute. You want me to show up and protect you from the devil when I told you to take upon you my whole armor? And you don't take upon my whole armor like I told you in Ephesians 6, but you want me to just show up and bail you out? Sometimes he will. But sometimes there are just natural consequences because we did not follow and obey the Word of God. I've got to move on here with the message. So, number one, want the right things. Number two, be patient. Number three, look at James 5.16, be righteous. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Listen, this is not saying that we confess our sins. To one another. Alright? I am a pastor. There are religions that teach that the, the, the pastor is a priest and that you should confess your sins to a human being in order to receive forgiveness. It's just simply not so. 1 John 1 9 says, We confess our sins to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. So remember that. We confess our faults to one another. And then it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much. It's going to accomplish something. So be righteous. Clarence Larkin said this. Adam and Eve were created innocent. Innocence is not righteousness. Innocence cannot become righteousness until it is tested. Righteousness came after sin entered into this world. And listen, we didn't come into this world innocent, but every single time that we are faced with either choosing evil or choosing God, when we choose God, then that is what makes us righteous. The root, root word of righteous is right. And so there are a lot of God's people that are all interested in being right when what we need to focus on is being righteous. I'll let you think about that one for a while. In Ezekiel fourteen fourteen, God says this, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls By their righteousness, saith the Lord God. God is using these three men as an example of their righteousness and how that their righteousness gave them power with God. You want to get what you want from God, then be righteous. Because Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. My last point this morning is number 4. Be persistent. We've already read in Hebrews 11.6 that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is not a genie in the bottle God. Rub the bottle and He gives you three wishes. God is not the microwave God that just gives us what we want, when we want it, and we don't have to wait. But the Bible teaches that we definitely should be persistent. In Luke chapter number 11, Jesus told the story about a man who comes and knocks on his neighbor's door. It's midnight, everybody's in bed, the man wakes up and he comes to the door and the the, the neighbor says, hey friend, I I just had somebody drop in on me and I don't have any food to feed them, Will will you lend me some loaves of bread? As Brother Rogers, I believe it was Brother Rogers pointed out, they didn't have you know, a grocery store that was open 24-7 or a convenience store. He didn't have anything to feed him. And so the man said, I can't get up and make you some bread or give you some loaves. Everybody, you're going to wake the whole house up. And Jesus told the story how that the man finally would end up giving his friend what he needed, not because he was his friend, but rather because... He wanted to get rid of him. Somebody shows up on you know, my door, maybe not midnight, I'd probably still be awake at midnight nowadays, but you show up about three in the morning. First of all, first of all I'd say, why did your friend show up at three in the morning? But you got to admit that if it was for something that didn't seem that life-threatening, you'd probably be a little irritated. But Jesus says, look, you can get what you want if you'll just simply be persistent. There was another story he told in Luke 18 about a widow, a pesky widow. He doesn't call her pesky, but she was. She comes to an unrighteous judge and says, avenge me of my adversary. And the judge says, you know what? I'm not righteous. I really don't care about you, lady. I really don't care what you think about me. I don't care what anybody else thinks of me, but you're really getting on my nerves, so yeah, I'll avenge you of your adversary so that you will please leave me alone. Jesus told both of these stories as an example that sometimes when we're not getting what we want from God, that we just need to keep on asking and keep on knocking and keep on seeking And God may say, you know what? You really mean business. You really have faith in me. And I'm going to give you what you want just to get rid of you. (laughs) Not very flattering, but if you want to get something from God, sometimes you just have to be persistent. Remember how Jacob wrestled with that angel all night? I mean, till the breaking of the day. And I guarantee you that um, Jacob... Um, I remember when I was a kid and I tried to wrestle my dad. I mean, it's like, you know what? He's, if I ever felt like I was getting the upper hand, I knew that he was letting me. And I'd think, oh, I got him down. And then, you know, he'd just get up and I'd, I'd be like a fly on him. Well, Jacob is wrestling all night long, but Jacob finally said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. There are times in life where we need to approach what we want or what we need from God in that manner, saying, God, I'm just not going to let you go until you bless me. In conclusion, I want to remind you that God wants to bless you. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 24, he said, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Boy, there's nothing more exciting than getting an answer to prayer. There's nothing more exciting than asking our Heavenly Father for something that we need and just watching and seeing how that He provides that need in His way and in His time. So often, God is frequently misunderstood when He doesn't do what we want when we want it. I heard a story about a plane that was heading to Seattle and it had some some problems and it had to had an emergency landing in Sacramento everybody was supposed to get off the plane because it was going to be several hours before they got it fixed the pilot comes out of the cockpit and he looks and there's one passenger that's still on the plane and it's a blind man and and the pilot says to the gentleman sir we're going to be uh, we're going to be here for several hours do you want to get up and stretch your legs And he said, no, I'm fine, I'll just sit here, but my seeing eye dog would probably enjoy a walk. And the pilot said, okay, great, I'll take him for a walk. The pilot walks out into the airport with the seeing eye dog. You know, he happened to have his sunglasses on. People were rushing to the counter, canceling their flight, getting on different airlines. But you know, the reality of it is, here this pilot is just simply doing something good for this blind man. Everybody else that's flying on that plane, they don't understand what the pilot's doing. And so they panic and they misunderstand. How often do we misunderstand God when things don't go the way that we want them to go? And we think that God should do one thing, but he does something else when we don't really trust that He just has a bigger picture in mind. I cannot count the times that I've seen people quit on God because God didn't do what they thought He should do when they thought He should do it. Perhaps maybe their motives were insincere. Perhaps God was doing something that they couldn't understand at the time. We seldom, if ever, know what God is doing. But one thing we can know is that God is good and that he wants to bless us. Ephesians 3.20, and we'll close. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We've seen from the word of God how that we can get what we want from the Lord. First of all, want the right things. Second of all, be patient third, be righteous, and fourth, be persistent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You, Lord, for the privilege of prayer that You've given us. Help us, Lord, to take these Bible principles to heart, incorporate them into our life. Thank You for being a God that wants to bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.